Oh, good morning, beloved. Uh, will you turn with me in your copy of Scripture to Ephesians chapter 1? The book of Ephesians and the New Testament, this letter Josh started us off with last week. going to be in chapter 1, picking up where he left off. And while you're turning there, um, you may notice my fancy watch. It's not fancy. It's actually one of the cheapest watches I could get that's waterproof because I forget things around me and jump in. That's why I don't have a hearing aid, despite being deaf. And the doctor's saying, that's all that's going to help you. Um, so... This watch, though, um, pretty cheap. I bought it um, because I wore a watch, like, religiously for a very long time. My wife bought me a nice stainless steel watch that just, like, I could not destroy it. It was amazing. And then when we had the lockdown with COVID, I realized um, that I don't do well staying at home and wearing the watch. I would just constantly, like, oh, how was it only four minutes ago that I looked at the time? And so I told myself, that's not healthy. So I took the watch off and broke the habit of wearing the watch. And then coming out of that, um, it wasn't until this year that I was like, I really like wearing a watch and just knowing what time it is, not having to look at my phone, things like that. And so I bought this cheap watch, and um, about two months after buying it, I looked down one day and realized the, the eighth hour mark is just gone. Like, it's disappeared, and I know it was there. Like, I've had this for two months. There's no way I didn't realize that until now. So I look online, and like, the warranty is like, yeah, we'll, we'll fix workmanship errors, but you have to pay for the shipping, you have to pay a repair fee, and I'm like, well, that's not really a warranty. But I was like, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. I sent them an email, long story short, they were like, yeah, you know what, you didn't have it very long, that should not have happened, Um, so send it back, here's a shipping label and everything. So I send it back, and I'm thinking, like, it's a cheap enough watch, like, you know how this works, like, it's not worth the time and the effort of of fixing this, they're just going to send me a new watch. But a few days later, I get this watch back. Like, I know it's mine because it has all the scratches that I've already put on it in the two months of wearing it. And I'm like, man, how about that? They actually took that apart and glued the tick mark back in there on the eighth hour. And so, oh, that's great. Thank you. Um, I don't know how cost-effective that is for their company, but they're, 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 they're doing well. So here we go. Um, so a couple months later, it's now summertime, and my wife and I are on the boat, and it's kind of shaky. It's a little boat, and like vibrating and everything. And I look down to see what time it is, And you know what I see on the minute hand? That eighth hour tick. The original one has come out of hiding and it's now riding on the minute hand. I'm like, what in the world? They fixed it and they didn't take the old one out. Like, that's crazy. And so it was kind of fun. I've kept it. I was like, I could send it back and be like, look what you guys did. But I kind of like that it's there. It's it's a little novel thing that every once in a while I shake it up. I'm like, where is it at? There it is. Um, So that's kind of fun. Here's the thing, isn't that life? Like, sometimes things are fixed. There was brokenness, um, but then it's fixed, and yet, sometimes that brokenness shows back up. The brokenness reappears, and it's so confusing when that happens. And so maybe the brokenness in you, believer, as you stumble, as you struggle and there's this sin or these sins that I just keep falling in and I don't understand because I read the Bible and it says that I've been freed from the power of that and yet it seems so much like it has a power over me. And so I'm just confused. Who am I? If this is what's happening to me, or maybe it's the brokenness in the world or the people around you, that you've been so deeply hurt by others and their brokenness, that brokenness is just causing so much pain and confusion that what is this, God? Or maybe you are not a Christian. Maybe you are not a follower of Jesus. And you look around and you say, this is just all bogus. How can that faith be real? 
If I still see that level of brokenness in them, I know the brokenness is in me, but they claim they've been freed from that, and I see it all over the place. But in so many ways, like that watch, the brokenness that we say was fixed just shows up, and it becomes so confusing that how in the world could that be back? And so now I don't know how to make sense of who I am. And we have to ask the question, what do we do in the hurt and the confusion when we don't feel certain about who we actually are? Like a silly broken watch that the broken piece keeps showing up at times unexpectedly and we think that's my life. And so who am I actually? And so we are in the book of Ephesians and Josh launched this book for us last week. If you didn't listen to that, I would encourage you to go back and listen as he set the stage for so much of what is to come. But as he just started with the greeting, um, Josh showed us how Paul is just incredibly confident in who he is. And Paul says, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will. Like I know who I am. I'm an apostle, I'm a sent one from Jesus Christ by God's will. I know who I am. And he addresses this to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus. He gives this this greeting of grace and peace to you from God. And so Paul is so sure of who he is, so confident in who he is, but now we're gonna look today at who he says we are. He says, I'm Paul, this is who I am, and now this is who you are. And so we need to listen to this as he says, this is who we are. And yet I want us to enter into the story, um, before we read this, remember where this comes from. This is actual history the Apostle Paul wrote this as a letter that was sent to the church in Ephesus. And so we look back into the book of Acts, which is kind of a a history of the early church. And Paul is this guy who hated Christians. He actually made it his life's goal to kill all Christians, to destroy the way, as it is called. Anyone following Jesus as Lord and Savior, as the Messiah, he wants them to die. He's putting them in prison. He has actual like license to do this. He's got a letter he's carrying around that he can go to new cities, throw the Christians in jail, or kill them. And so this is the guy who stood there receiving and holding the jackets of everybody who's gonna like free up so they can throw rocks as hard as they can to kill one of the first martyrs of Christianity. This guy meets Jesus on the roads of Damascus. Jesus himself reveals himself in glory, blinds him with his glory. And he's like, I've actually chosen you to be mine and I'm sending you to the Gentiles. And so this guy radically changes the orientation of his life. He once wanted to kill all Christians and now he's going around as this missionary. He's planting as many churches as he can across the known world. And so in the story of him doing that, he comes to this city known as Ephesus. And when he comes to the city that's known as Ephesus, he has kind of this strategy of he tries to meet with the Jews and he's like, hey, you know you've been waiting for the Messiah. Let me show you that Jesus is the Messiah. This is our salvation and largely he's rejected. There's just a handful of guys, there's seven at one point in the early stages of his time in Ephesus, and there's all this kind of back and forth, but he starts to meet in the hall of Tyrannus where he's weekly teaching and expounding on the scriptures. More and more people are coming to know who Jesus is and treasuring Christ above all else. So much so that all the stuff that they were looking to as their sense of security and comfort and identity, all the idols in their lives, which happened to be a lot of magic in the city, They were really into magical things, so they had all these books of spells and things. Like, we don't want it anymore. They have a big bonfire party where they burn all this stuff and their idols and things, they're throwing it away. And so all the onlookers who are not Christians are like, wow, that's pretty radical. That they're destroying property. They don't even want it. The things that they had invested their lives in that cost them a lot of money, these little silver shrines and things, they're burning it, they're throwing it away. It's trash to them now. Compared to what Jesus is, They're forsaking all else. 
And Paul is doing miraculous things. Paul becomes known as the guy who could like touch a handkerchief and then send it on its way and other people who are sick or had demons in them could just touch it and suddenly they're healed and they're freed. Like stuff like that is happening here. Everyone is in awe like we have heard of this guy Paul. This is amazing. What kind of magic does he have? But then there's this Demetrius guy who's a silversmith and he's like, this is costing me a lot of money. And I don't like it. And I don't agree with it. So he rallies people up. He like gets the crowd going and everything. They go to the amphitheater, which, mind you, can seat 24,000 people, history tells us. 24,000 people can be in this amphitheater. He gets crowds in there, and they're just going crazy. And they bring some of the Jews in. They're like, you're destroying things. You're killing our business. You don't even have it right. And there's the temple of Artemis. And they're like, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And they're screaming that. Imagine 24,000 people to the top of their lungs screaming, great is Artemis of the Ephesians for two hours, it says. And then finally, some people are like, hey, let's be rational here. We're about to be charged with rioting. We have courts. Let's take them to court, okay? So everybody calm down and leave and everything. But Paul, his friends are like, don't even go in that place, man. They're going to tear you to shreds. And so Paul realizes his time has come to leave. And so he leaves there. He goes on planting some more churches. He comes back and meets with some of the Ephesian elders because during his two years here in Ephesus, he's so invested in people that he raised up leaders of the church, elders, pastors. And he comes to this point in Acts chapter 20 where he meets with the Ephesian elders, these pastors, and they're on the shores. Paul's about to get on a ship. And it says like they loved each other so much that they're, like, they're down on their knees like clinging to him and crying. Like he means that much to them. This guy has poured out his life that much that someone they knew for two years, they're crying as he says, you won't see me again. And so now as we read this letter, you've got to remember all the history of that. They're like, this guy, even if you didn't meet him while he was here, you know the impact he's had on this city. You know how much he poured out his life and his heart for this church. And now we receive this letter from him And so everyone who knew him, who saw him, who talked with him, who worked with him, all of that, they're like, yeah, read the letter, read it loud. I want to hear it. Read it again. But everyone who didn't even know him, they're like, I've heard of that guy. I'm going to listen in on this. And so imagine being that. And then I'll hear what he says as he jumps into the content of his letter. He's addressed them. Hey, I'm Paul. I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will to you faithful saints in Ephesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And now let me tell you who you are. Look at verse three. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glory. He lavished on us and the beloved one. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. In him, We have also received an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will so that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. In him you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. 
The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. Oh, that's who I am. Oh, that's who you are. He says this is who we are. Man, you gotta understand as we go through this, um, verses three through 14 that we're gonna focus on today, in the original Greek, that is all one sentence. Which is amazing. Like it's difficult enough to read in English. But in Greek, as Paul wrote this, this is him getting carried away. And this is all one long sentence. It's like, this is who you are. La, 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 la. And he loads it up. I calm down, Paul. Take a breath. <laughs> so let's, let's look at this. Verse three. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. This verse is actually a summary statement of all of what four through 14 is gonna say that he's captured the whole idea of this long sentence in the first part of the sentence. That blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. To say blessed, like how is God blessed? And blessed means happy, but it also means something kind of like praise too. It's indicating that something or someone is worthy of appreciation, honor, or praise. So it's like saying, well, praise to God. Praise to God. And why is God to be praised? Why is he to be blessed? Because he has blessed us. And who is the us? We have to go back to what Josh covered last week. Who is he addressing this to? Thus he can use the pronoun us to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus. So God has blessed the saints, the faithful saints. And so he is to be blessed. And what has he blessed us with? With every kind of spiritual blessing. So verses four through 14 are gonna unpack those blessings now. But these blessings are from the heavens. And yet, here's what we have to see. These are blessings from the heavens, but they're for here today. For you in your life right now, when the little tick shows up again, you're like, what is this brokenness that keeps coming up? Paul wants you to hear, God the Spirit wrote this so that you would hear, this is who you are. In your confusion of who am I, he says, this is who you are. You are blessed. And because you are blessed, you are to bless God. You have every spiritual blessing in the heavens. And it's for now not just in the age that is to come, but for now you have this. So know who you are. Know what you get to enjoy. And as we break this down, um, I'm gonna type A, guys. Uh, Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna go in three sections because Paul has structured this in kind of good Trinitarian theology. There's, There's this beauty of how he breaks it down that this is the Father, the Son, and the Spirit who is working in all of this blessing of us. And so uh, verse four to six is, a, is the selection of the father, seven to 12 is the sacrifice of the son, and 13 to 14 is the seal of the spirit. And so as Paul kind of brackets it in this way or structures it in this way, we're gonna follow that. So look with me at verses four through six. It says, for he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us and the beloved one. So we have to start with asking, who is he? And that goes back to verse three, blessed is the God and Father. So he is the Father. This is speaking of the Father. Four through six is about the selection of the Father, meaning this is the plan. This is the plan of salvation. This is the plan of how you are blessed, saints. The Father has a plan. And in verse four, we see he chose us in him. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless and love before. Do you know the comfort of knowing that God the Father chose us? 
And this can get um, into so many debates. But let's just take it for what it says. Do you know the joy of knowing that you did not deserve to be chosen and you were chosen before any of this was set in motion? The God who is omniscient, knowing all things past, present, and future, would say, I choose you. You are mine. In Greek, this is actually written in the middle voice, which means that he's not just kind of aloof and removed from this as this calculated cognitive decision, but he's active in it. He's, he's affected by it. That God would choose us is amazing. And you can get into the emotional turmoil of like, but, but that means he didn't choose some. And that's the total wrong question and wrong point. What should overwhelm us is to think that he would choose any of us that we all have turned aside, all have fallen short of the glory of God. We have all sinned, we have all rebelled against God and the fact that he would choose any of us and say, I love you, I chose you before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before me. That is amazing, that is grace, that should astound us and cause us to know, wow, what comfort, what love that God would choose me is the more we see that I am a great sinner, then I see he is a great savior. And so be overwhelmed and be comforted by the fact that God chose you, that God would choose us. That is amazing. This, this election, this choosing, is inseparably, inseparably tied to love. He chose us in love before him. In the verse five, he says, he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself according to the good pleasure of his will. He predestined us to be adopted as sons. And this is in the Roman context. This is the Roman Empire. And in the Roman Empire, to know what it means to be adopted gives so much meaning to this. Because to be adopted in the Roman context means you have to look at the father. He's actually the focal point of the adoption story. Not the orphan who's becoming a son. And we can't make this gender neutral because you actually miss out on the significance of what this means for daughters of God to now be called a son of God because in this context, to be a son in the Roman Empire means that the father had to pay a great price. This is the father who actually has the legal capability of murdering anyone in his household with no legal recourse. Like that's how much authority the father has. The father has all property to himself. It is his it is uncontested. And now to be made a son means the father has to pay a great price and take on any debt that the son would have. It's all paid for by the father. And in doing that, the father says, you are now mine. You are a natural son to me now. In this sense, you are fully mine and now everything I have is fully yours. That you become a real heir. You get real status, privilege, and property that is received of being a true son. Paul's saying, this is what God the Father has done for us. He has adopted us. He has paid the price. And he's brought us in. And now, this is how every blessing in the heavens is ours. If <laughs> We are heirs. And I love that it says, verse six, to the praise of his glorious grace. What is this all to? To what end? To his praise. To his praise, to the praise of his glorious grace. And now verse seven. Now we get to the son. This is the sacrifice of the son. This is the provision of our salvation. Verse seven, it says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. 
He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. In him we have also received an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will so that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. This is redemption. To redeem something is to buy it back. And this is the provision of our salvation. It is the sacrifice of the Son. Here, so much language is repeated here that the Son is doing what the Father had planned. That the Son becomes our redemption. He becomes the way that we are purchased back. And you know what the currency was? Do you know what the cost was for our redemption to be redeemed? His blood. And this goes all the way back into the Garden of Eden. That when Adam and Eve sin, they rebel against God and the fall comes about and now there's this curse pronounced. You know what they do? They're, they're hiding because they're naked and they realize it and they're ashamed. You know what number one goal was in that moment? We gotta cover our nakedness, cover our shame. We've gotta do something about this. And so what do they do? They sew together fig leaf bikinis. It's the best you got, Adam and Eve? <laughs> yeah, it's a little ridiculous, but I've got these leaves. And you know what God does as he sees them and their best attempts at self-righteousness to cover their own sin and shame? What does God do? He makes them new clothes. And what does he make these clothes out of? An animal. Something must die. Blood must be shed to be your covering. So God gives them clothes. Your self-righteousness will never cut it because your righteousness, according to the prophet Isaiah, is like filthy rags on the side of God. We could never be good enough. And now here is Jesus. After thousands of years of this temple sacrificial system to where animals come in and their blood is shed to atone for sins, Jesus comes, the Lamb of God, the once and for all final sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice to be our atonement, our covering, to be at one meant with God, atonement. To be at one with God, this blood covering us, the blood that was shed, this was the cost of our redemption. That Jesus would die, he would be the ultimate sacrifice. And so our sins have been canceled and forgiven along with the punishment that they incurred for us. This is the gospel. That we can do nothing for ourselves, but we believe that he died and he rose again. He has been victorious over sin and death. He paid the price for us. He died the death that you and I deserve on the cross and says, believe in me. Turn from your sin admitting you're a sinner, even me, the one who is sinless, to take our place on a cross, dying, so that all the power of sin could be put to death with him. The penalty, the wrath of God would be taken out on him so that we are no longer condemned. So we believe and we confess he is Lord, we turn from our sin, we trust him for salvation. He is the Lord, he has bought us back. And he has done this with all wisdom and understanding. That means that we were given meaning and purpose in this great act of redemption. That we don't just flounder around in life looking at that broken little tick. What is this? No, no, no. Believer, you have purpose. There is meaning to all of this. Every bit of the hurt, every bit of everything that you encounter, there is meaning here. And we may not fully understand it, but there's meaning to it. The mystery has been made known. This act of redemption is the great why answer. And I want to be honest with you, and like, I think we should always be honest with each other. That does not mean that we understand everything. 
We should, not, we should not pretend like we totally understand why someone is encountering something so awful, so hateful, so, so painful, any of those things. We cannot act like we fully understand it, but we are given some beautiful reassurance of why. He has made known to us this great mystery that it's in Christ. Uh, this, this past week, I've been doing this different kind of devotional with my son, and we're excited actually to have the whole church go through it with our kids. Um, but... We get to this point, and, and every week starts with like kind of an open time of like, do you have any questions about this? And you record those questions, and we talk through them throughout the week and things. And my son, he's eight years old, and hello, he, he, he's sitting there, and I'm like, do you have any questions this week? Like, what are, what are the things that are kind of like wrestling in your mind, all this stuff? And, and he just looks at me, and he, like, without batting an eye, he's just like, why did God make Satan? Like, well, let me call Pastor Alex for you. <laughs> like, <laughs> like <laughs> Why did God make Satan? Like, hey, let's wait till you're in seminary. <laughs> like, you're eight years old. Let's ask some other questions first. But what a good question. And can I give him a full answer? No. But you know what I can tell him? Let's look at the cross. What does God say about all this? That he has made known this mystery. That there's purpose and there's meaning. That this act of redemption is the ultimate answer to every question we have. And so let's fix our eyes on that. And we can wrestle through a lot of other questions and, and try our best, but this is what we do know. Is Christ has died, and he was raised to life, and we have life with him, and he has defeated the enemy in that. So the point is, see the might and power of God to secure our salvation. He's the one who, it says, works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will. And then again, to what end? Why? To the praise of his glory to the praise of his glory. And so that is the son and his provision. Now let's look at the spirit, the, the making of this our reality, causing this to come about for us. Verse 13, it says, in him you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And when you believed, the Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. The seal of the spirit making salvation our reality. And to be sealed by something, uh, the seal is a mark of ownership. That if you seal the letter with your seal, that's to say, this is authentically mine, and I give it to you. You can know it has not been tampered with. To be sealed by something, it's almost like to be branded. We live in Lake County, and it's far more agricultural than I want to admit. You, know, you see those cows and things, and they brand them, they put their seal on it so that you would know if you go into the, into, the, into the big field and there's different cattle owners have cattle in there, they can know which one's theirs. There's a tag sealing it or there's a branding on it sealing it that's marking it by ownership. But who owns this? And the Spirit seals us with this promise of full redemption. It's a seal, it's a mark of ownership that we belong to the Lord. It's also a down payment, he says. It's a down payment like a deposit given that will continually remind us of what is to come. That the gospel is that God has saved us from God so that we get God. That he has taken care of the wrath that we justly deserve because he loves us in grace and wants us to be back with him. And the day is coming when we will see Jesus face to face, the visible expression, full expression of God himself. And yet today we have God with us. This is the spirit that Jesus said, it's better for me to leave so that I can send you the spirit, the comforter, the one who will guide you into all truth. 
And so we have the presence of God with us, sealing us. The Spirit of God is with us. Today, we get to enjoy his fellowship, that God is with us. This deposit, like you, you make a deposit on that vacation home. You can't wait until you go, and it's a year away, but I've made that deposit, and every time I look at my bank account, I think, it's mine. I get to go there. It's held. He has done that for us. He secured our future but even today, he is with us while we await redemption and this already not yet tension that here's the thing, we have been freed from the penalty of sin. We have been freed from the power of sin even. That you don't have to live under the power of sin. By the power of God, the spirit, you can overcome that. The power of sin does not have a stranglehold on us anymore. We can fight and so fight. We have been freed from the penalty and the power of sin and yet like that silly little tick mark that keeps showing up, it's still present. And the seal of the Spirit is this promise that, hey, one day you're going to be delivered not just from the power of sin and the penalty of sin, but also the presence of sin. That he's going to finish this. And there will be no more brokenness. And so we have that reassurance today. But again, to what end? It says, to the praise of his glory. To the praise of his glory. And so as you read this, and Paul's saying, this is who you are. This is the gospel. See how the whole Godhead, God the Father, Son, and Spirit, all three God, and yet these three distinct persons as one God, they're all active in this, salvation. They are defining, God is defining who you are, so listen to his voice. And yet we still sometimes look down when things are shaken up, and you're like, there's the brokenness again. Oh, wait, who am I? And we need to hear his voice saying, this is who I am. So bottom line, when I wonder who I am, I look to God and I bless him. He has blessed me and so I bless him. I look to God and I bless him. As you go through this, and I would encourage you to do this, write this text out this week. Put it on a paper, stick it to your mirror, you get ready, brushing your teeth and just read it. Just read it over and over. And work through that. Highlight the words that say, this is who you are. And I hope today, church, would you hear what Paul is saying. This is who you are. You are blessed. You are chosen. You are holy. You are blameless. You are loved. You're an adopted son. You are redeemed. You are forgiven. You are purposeful. You're the heir of heaven. You're hopeful and you're sealed that this is who we are. Yesterday, my wife and I took the kids to Lake Eola. We're walking around through the park and lots of people have their dogs there. And my son loves to ask questions. Sometimes they're really good and difficult and sometimes they're just like, what? <laughs> But as we're walking around, we see all these different dogs. He's asking, like, every kind of dog, like, hey, is that a, what, is that a, is that a, and so we come upon one of the first ones. He's like, hey, Dad, is that a husky? I was like, no, that's not a husky. He's like, how do you know? Like, because I know what a husky is. <laughs> and we get to the next one. He's like, hey, is that a dachshund? I'm like, no, not a dachshund. We have a dachshund. He's <laughs> like, well, how do you know, Dad? because I know what a dachshund is. Like, I don't know what that dog is, but I know it's not a husky. I don't know what that dog is, but I know it's not a dachshund. And how do I know that as he's pressing? How do you know, Dad? 
Like, stop, you're not supposed to question me for a few more years. Like, <laughs> because I know what those things are, and that is not what it is. And so in the confusion of life, when things are hurtful, when things are just chaos, whatever it is, and you're like, I don't know who I am, this brokenness keeps showing up again. Hear this, you are blessed, you are chosen, you are holy, you're blameless, you're loved, you're an adopted son, you're redeemed, you're forgiven, you're purposeful, you're the heir of heaven, you're hopeful, and you're sealed by God himself. So I don't know what that is, but I know who I am. This is who I am. Because this is what he has said of me. He has blessed me with every spiritual blessing in the heavens, and so praise to God. Blessed be God our Father. Praise and glory to him and his glorious grace. This is what I know. So skeptic, you don't know if you believe this? This just sounds crazy. Or seeker, you want desperately to know what is true. Or stumbling saint, it's like, I did it again. Brokenness just keeps showing up. Or doubting saying, man, I, I hear what he's saying, but I don't know if that can be true for me. I want to ask, will you believe this good news? That there's a God who loves you like that. That he would work out our salvation and invites us into this with him. A follower of Jesus, uh, who can you share this good news with? Because you think every bit of it is to the praise of his glory. And the mission Jesus gave us is so that there would be more and more praise to his glory. And his mission was, go tell the world, every nation. That includes the guy and girl who live next door to you. They need to hear this. They need this good news. That includes the person who works behind you or beside you or in front of you. That includes the people on your sports team. That includes every person you run into in the grocery store. It includes the whole world. They need to hear this gospel, this good news. Will you be faithful in that? Will you share this gospel with them? Start going to the same coffee shop at the same time and meet the other people who are there at the same time and start talking to them. Ask them if they're just willing to read through a gospel with you. They're just a few minutes a day. We see each other all the time. Can we just read a few verses together? Talk about it for a couple of minutes? Have a good day. But will you be faithful in sharing this good news? Who can you share it with? We must be a church who shares this good news because it is all to the glory of his grace, to the praise of his glory. It's him. He's at the center, not us. But we have been blessed by him. And so because we have been blessed by him in that way, we must say, well, bless you, God. Let's pray. Father, thank you that this was your plan from before the foundation of the world, that you would choose us, that you would send your son, and Jesus, that you would come obediently, that you would submit yourself to even death on a cross in that great humility. And spirit, that you would work this salvation in us in your power, that you would open our eyes to see the beauty of who you are, God. That you would give us faith to believe and so I ask that you would do that now in this room. Would you give faith to people who don't have faith? Would you open their eyes to see the treasure that Jesus is? That he's worth forsaking all else. Because in him, as Paul kept using that phrase, in him, in him, we have salvation. We have all these things that you have said are true of us. And so we praise you for it. We love you and thank you. And pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Jesus.